Hi, my name is Vijahat Said Khan. I am the digital editor at Nikkei Asia here in New York City. I'm joined by Lisa Curtis. She is a senior fellow and the director of the Indo-Pacific Security Program at the Center for a New American Security, CNAS, a think tank in Washington, D.C. She's also the former uh, a senior director at the National Security Council, where she was handling, guess what, uh, Taliban relations and affairs out there in AFPAC, in Afghanistan, Pakistan. Lisa, welcome to Convo 6. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Okay, so real quickly, uh, it's going to be a busy week in Washington with this Afghanistan story. Guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, President Ashraf Ghani is going to be meeting President Biden at a time when many are assessing um, that uh, Afghanistan's government may collapse with these uh, gains uh, by the Taliban, especially in the north of the country. What do you make of this? Well, I think the Ghani visit is very welcome. It's an opportunity for President Biden to shift his approach on the withdrawal, the current withdrawal, which is being handled far too abruptly. And it's an opportunity to show U.S. support for the Afghanistan government and to indicate that we will continue to provide financial assistance and support for the Afghan security forces and civil society. The recent Taliban gains are, are not surprising. The Biden administration has been uh, pulling U.S. forces out too abruptly, and the Afghans have relied on our air cover. And it was always unrealistic to think we could just yank that and not expect it to benefit the Taliban. Uh, I think another major mistake has been the withdrawal of all the contractors. Th that's really not necessary. The contractors are there to help with repair and maintenance of the equipment, especially helicopters, uh, which are crucial for the Afghan security forces. So I think there is a way for this uh, withdrawal to be handled more responsibly. And hopefully Ghani can convince uh, the Biden administration to change some of the things that they're doing and the way they're handling the withdrawal. All right. Now, speaking of convincing each other, uh, Lisa, uh, it seems that uh, the Biden administration has been trying to do some convincing of its own uh, out yonder in uh, Islamabad, where the Pakistani prime minister has recently been very clear uh, and pretty vociferous uh, on the record statements about not allowing uh, the U.S. to have any sort of basing. Uh, for its drones, for its aircraft, for what is called, uh, uh, you know, uh, over-the-horizon uh, counterterrorism. It's a fashionable word these days, but is being used. Uh, controlling uh, the war uh, from another country or fighting the war from another country. Uh, what do you make of that? The Pakistanis uh, have said that they've learned their lessons and never again will they allow this. What do you make of uh, uh, Prime Minister Khan's statements? Well, I think it was expected that Prime Minister Khan would have rejected this idea. Uh, he was one of the most vociferous uh, people speaking out against the U.S. presence when it was there in the early 2000s. Um, however, I, I think that some of the military leadership would probably want to provide basing rights to the United States because they know that that would give them leverage with the U.S. in terms of um, greater assistance, you know, military transfers, and then, you know, not suffering uh, as many consequences for their dual policy of, of uh, you know, continuing to support the Taliban. So I'm sure there are 
people within the Pakistan military establishment that would be willing to provide these basing rights so that they could gain some leverage over the U.S. But it's going to be very difficult. Uh, Prime Minister Khan, you know, has been very clear publicly, and it would be very difficult for him to go back on that statement um, unless they can find a way to do it quietly um, and uh, be able to de deny it publicly. But I think that would be extremely difficult. I think that the better solution would be for the U.S. to look to towards Central Asian states, particularly Uzbekistan, and perhaps be able to negotiate something where special operations forces, predators uh, could perhaps be stationed there. Uh, and that would give very uh, easy access to northern Afghanistan. Right. Now, really quickly, that leads us into the question of uh, the different spheres of influence in the region, right? This is not a vacuum. Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires, but uh, recently there's been a lot of commentary about how other countries are trying to or will naturally fill that vacuum. When you say Uzbekistan, of course, that is in the Russian sphere of influence, perhaps even the Chinese sphere of influence. Um, um, there's lots of commentary these days about how Iran and uh, uh, India will fill that vacuum. Really quickly, Lisa, uh, how do you see the regional powers playing out? I think it's going to be every man for himself. Uh, look, the Russians, the Iranians, they're concerned about ISIS, so they'll want to make sure that they keep uh, ISIS in check. China's concerned about Uyghur separatists, and, and uh, so they'll do what they have to do. Maybe they'll work with the Central Asian states uh, for more counterterrorism cooperation to try to stop any uh, bad actors from crossing into Central Asia. And I think it will quickly be shown um, how detrimental the withdrawal of U.S. forces is for all of these countries and their uh, counterterrorism interests.